The technology likely to have the greatest impact on the next few decades has arrived. You can start building completely new concepts for payments that we've never thought of. Move the need for a financial intermediary to transact value. Bitcoin and the blockchain have an amazing future. This is going to transform society. Yo guys, what's going on? Uh, I just got off the phone with Jason. Jason Williams from Morgan Creek Digital. And uh, guys, oh my God, what a chat and what a guy. Um, really, really enjoyed this one. I think we connected really well and we had quite a lot of banter. And I laughed quite a lot. It was a great chat. So um, Jason, a bit about him. Jason's ironically one of the guys who defied the crypto trend of buying Lambos and actually decided to sell his Lambo to buy more Bitcoin. And um, so, like I said, Jason currently works at Morgan Creek Digital, but he also has a health uh, healthcare, a background in healthcare. So that's why I got him on the show today, so that we could discuss the possibilities and the options that blockchain and blockchain-inspired systems could bring to the healthcare industry across the entire globe. So without further ado, this is Blockchain in Healthcare with Jason Williams. I hope you enjoy it. Hey there, guys. I'm sat here with Jason from Morgan Creek Digital. And Jason, we've already spoken a few times before, so I've already had the pleasure of listening to your story. But for the sake of our audience and listeners, it's definitely something that we should go through again. So, Jason, how did you get to the point where you are today? Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me today. Um, you know, uh, I was actually had aspirations to become a physician here in the United States and uh, got accepted to uh, PA school um, and completed that program and then was accepted to Yale to do a surgical residency. And when I was there, came up the idea for ambulatory care centers that would do 80% of what you'd find in a U.S. emergency department or a typical emergency department in the U.K. Um, for one-tenth the cost. And I socialized that idea with my professors. They told me, uh, like, look, that's a really, a really smart thing that you've come up with. I bounced it around to some friends, ended up dropping out, coming back to, uh, uh, to North Carolina here in the United States, and then building over, um, over a 10-year period the nation's second largest urgent care and primary care practice, uh, 1,400 employees, 400 docs and PAs, doing about a million and a half patient visits a year. So it was a really, really uh, wild ride, and uh, we did a lot of cool things in healthcare. That in itself is absolutely amazing. But how did you get down the blockchain path? Yeah, so uh, it's funny. In 2012, one of my marketing guys who was friends with the Winklevoss twins walked into my office and said, Jason, you need to look at um, this Bitcoin thing. Um, and uh, so I started tracking it then. I didn't make an investment then, but I started tracking it. And uh, was this in, sorry? Uh, this was in 2012. Um, okay. And, um, you know, I started tracking Bitcoin, followed the Mt. Gox situation, uh, Dow hack, all the, uh, the kind of relevant things that were going on in the space, um, and then had a chance to, uh, to really get involved uh, in the space after uh, I started my second startup, which is a waste to energy business I started in 2015. Um, the best way for us to monetize the power we were making in that business was with cryptocurrency mining. So uh, that was when I really pushed uh, major chips in the space um, and started using the power we were making off the waste tires to mine crypto. Um, if you could imagine 
that, that was early 2015. Um, so I went through the whole gamut of learning about custody, exchanges, diversification of the assets, because I was actually mining Ethereum to start. Um, but, um, you know, I'll stop there, but it, that, that's how I got involved in the space. Okay. So let's go through, or let's quickly touch on the mining business because I find it like the first time you explained it to me, I found it so interesting. And for our audience, what you did essentially was you took waste tires, secondhand tires that weren't needed anymore, and then you recycled them and used the energy from it to mine different cryptocurrencies, like you said, Ethereum. That's exactly correct. So here in the United States and all over the world, waste tires are a massive problem because they don't decompose like regular trash. So if you bury them, they never go away. There are some kind of brute force techniques to get rid of them, like grinding uh, or separating them mechanically, but it's a huge waste of power and resources. So we have a patented technology that takes the whole car tire and puts it through an 11 hour process that uh, takes a little bit of energy to unlock massive amounts of energy in the tire. Uh, we recover steel, oil, carbon, and thermal energy uh, in the form of syngas. So uh, we take that, run it through turbines and make power. I can sell the power to the grid, uh, but more, uh, more efficient use was to set up cryptocurrency mine and that we did. So we built the world's first waste to energy cryptocurrency mine. That is so blooming cool, literally. <laughs> so Jason, the reason why I got you onto the show today is because I often see you on Twitter. You tweet about healthcare and the links that it could have with blockchain and DLT and kind of distributed and decentralized systems. So before we talk about the impacts that blockchain could have on your industry, let's go through or what I want to do is kind of understand what the typical process of needing an operation in the US healthcare system is like, starting from the very start up until the patient is cured and kind of touch on the levels of bureaucracy and the different silos within the business or within the process. Sure. You know, I, I think it'll be interesting for your listeners to, to listen to this and compare it to your own experiences in healthcare. So recently I've had a friend who was having chronic cough and a bit of chest pain. And she ended up uh, going to her primary care physician. Um, and you know, when you go to your primary care physician here in the United States, you can typically get an appointment within days, if not the same day. And um, specifically if you have insurance. So uh, the patient ended up uh, being seen. Uh, she had a chest X-ray and some labs done. Um, those uh, are all authorized by the payer or the insurance company. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there was a mass in her lung. And here's where the United States healthcare, I think, really uh, separates itself from the rest of the world, per se. Um, this was on a Friday that she or the physician saw the lung mass on x ray. And on Monday morning, she was in a, the oncologist's office at Duke University getting advanced studies, PET scanning, CT scans, and, uh, and had the diagnosis of lung cancer. Um, it's incredible how fast uh, things move here in the United States. You know, on the back end, there's a lot of work that goes on in terms of prior authorization um, in regards to the necessity of the labs and the advanced imaging that was done. 
But in the event that, um, that you get through that process, things can happen really quickly. You know, there, when, you, when you look at though, uh, I just went through a process where things move very quickly and a patient went from, you know, having a cough to being diagnosed with lung cancer. And then, you know, I, had, I didn't go into what happens afterwards. But when you look at the way healthcare moves, um, if you don't engage it where you get uh, a health system like Duke University that has an electronic medical record and is able to coordinate care across the primary care, the laboratory, the advanced imaging capabilities, the consultant cardio, uh, the uh, consultant uh, oncologist, uh, that works very well. So you have this ecosystem of electronic medical records coordinating care pretty efficiently inside of a, a hospital system like Duke University. But for the most part, healthcare is fragmented and these, these technologies don't communicate well. Um, you know, I fought with it for over a decade at my company, FastMed, that I built, where I had probably 15 to 20 different technologies inside the, the company itself that didn't even communicate with the electronic medical record because there weren't HL7 interfaces. Uh, so if you come to uh, FastMed, let's say, and you had that same presentation, say you had a cough, and I did a chest x-ray uh, in the office and said, ooh, that looks like there's a lung mass there. If I sent you to uh, a hospital system for uh, follow-up or advanced testing, it's a paper process. I'm on the phone now calling your insurance company, pretty much trying to convince them that you need a referral to get an advanced imaging test, like a PET scan or CT scan. And I have to jump through all these loops and fax my, the, the documents over, and they may or may not have a third-party physician review that and authorize the, the studies. So you have this very fragmented, uh, archaic system of phone calls and faxes of paperwork because there's no integration of the technology uh, or a patient portal that is agnostic to my choice in technology that allows for everybody to look in and not have all this redundancy. That's where blockchain has a huge uh, potential to coordinate care and streamline, so streamline this, uh, this process of seeing what needs to be done in real time and doing it. Well, see, what I find interesting about that is how I can contrast your American private healthcare system with, um, see, I'm from the UK, so we have a public healthcare service, which is the NHS. And most British people are very proud of the NHS. And it's, um, it's been phenomenal for our country over the past 70 years or so. But I can also say that it's very paper-based. All of the records there, well, not all of the records, but what I mean is the large majority, are, they're still using fax machines and printers and paper-based records. And that's, I think, the digital revolution uh, within the healthcare system is coming. And the reason why I got you on the show is to talk about what, what benefit blockchain-inspired systems could provide to healthcare. Uh, I, I think it's tremendous, actually. So if you look at, and I think some of the things, uh, the, the, the most recent uh, applications that are coming through are around uh, claim submission uh, here in the United States. Um, so when you go and you engage healthcare and you have insurance, 
it's really hard for a patient to know about their deductibles. And this, this may be super foreign to you. Um, he, here in the United States, you have a certain level of responsibility to pay for your healthcare service. Do, do you actually pay for services in the UK? I mean, it depends the severity of your case, but um, predominantly most of it is free and uh, we pay through taxes. Right, right. So here in the United States, we have like co-payment situations. So if I show up to my primary care physician with insurance, I may have to pay a percentage of the care out of my pocket, even though I pay for insurance, the insurance covers some portion of the care. Uh, so it, it's still, um, it's still a, a difficult transactional situation here in the United States. But the, the thing that blockchain is, uh, could potentially help with here is uh, transparency around that billing uh, and allowing for real-time claim adjudication. So if I end up uh, at, a, uh, at a physician's office, uh, you never know how much of my deductible I've paid and how much of the responsibility I have to pay the bill. So you end up overpaying for things and getting reimbursed uh, later. So it's super inefficient uh, in that respect. Does that make any sense at all? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does make sense. And one thing that I find really interesting is the democratization of power, how at the minute um, health records are very centralized and they're owned or they're mainly maintained by, um, or at least is the case in the UK, by the actual companies or the healthcare providers. And then the whole idea with blockchain and DLT systems is that the, the user is empowered, the everyday individual is empowered, so they get to control their own healthcare um, information and distribute it accordingly when they have to, adequately. Yeah, here in the United States, it's the same way. I mean, you, you literally have to fill out a document if you want uh, access to your medical record. Now, if in fact your physician has an electronic medical record, those electronic medical records oftentimes have something called a patient portal where you can sign in to a HIPAA protected high tech. So those are laws here in the United States that protect healthcare information. Um, it allows you to sign into those patient portals and get access to your healthcare uh, information, which is really, um, which is really interesting. Now, what can you do with that? Uh, very little. You can look at it. Uh, you could probably print it out, uh, but you know you can't monetize it, and that that's another really interesting opportunity uh, that technology offers patients is the opportunity to potentially create a healthcare locker, and that locker or lockbox is owned by you, not the healthcare system or your physician. And if you want to let someone into that lockbox, maybe to uh, pull some anonymized data out of it for research or something like that, you may be able to get compensated uh, for that access. So the, uh, the ownership of your data uh, is, uh, I, I think, an interesting uh, opportunity for, uh, for, for people to uh, uh, participate in uh, kind of lifting up their own financial opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, there's a there's already a mini case study of that, and that's in Estonia, in a in northern Europe. I'm not sure if you've read, but Estonia are a very digital nation. They've um, you've been able to vote online in Estonia for years, and someone showed me at my days in university an Estonian ID card that they had, and on the back there's this chip where they can um, 
they can put some of their records like their driving license and their passport and give it to the adequate person say a police officer or it, it, it's just yeah just the thought of the user being able to control their data is it's it's interesting because also this week i'm going to record a podcast with forrest who um He's a YouTuber and the whole idea of that podcast is going to be the Web 3.0, which is the main, the main idea behind Web 3.0 is exactly that, the, the empowerment of the everyday user and how they can interact with their data rather than it being stored in centralized hubs. It's, it's interesting. Jason, have you given any thought to the idea of increased coordination as a result of um, blockchain systems within healthcare and administration specifically? Yeah, I, I think that that's something that, you know, folks who are involved in this space need to focus on right now. Anything that can connect providers, payers, and patients together, it's going to expedite, uh, expedite information sharing, decrease the cost of care, and probably affect outcomes in a positive way. So, so this move to decentralized blockchain technologies in healthcare that allow for this, this real-time uh, transparency are going to be hugely beneficial. This, this, the application of this technology in this space is as exciting to me as it is uh, the application of it in the financial network. Geez, that's quite a statement. I like it. Because Bitcoin, I think, in the financial system, that's the first industry or the first market where it's going to have an effect. And we kind of haven't seen it disperse into other industries and marketplaces there. So that's an interesting comment. Yeah, I think, you know, healthcare has been so fragmented in regards to the application of technology because it's really hard to... Absolutely. Yeah, it's really hard to connect all of, uh, all of the different technologies that are inside a healthcare ecosystem, let alone connect ecosystems to ecosystems. The same problem exists in blockchain. You know, how do you connect blockchains to blockchains? But every people are working on that stuff, and I I, I expect to see those solutions. Uh, they're coming right now. I saw recently. It's like the the amount of people working on blockchain technologies is so is so exponentially low compared to the amount of engineers and and folks in the space. Imagine when the space really heats up and really starts to attract. Uh, the focus of uh, of uh, you know computer scientists in a real a real way. I think it will uh, it'll move the whole industry forward in light speed. I hope so. So, Jason, in the prep for this chat, I was trying to I was trying to think of the limitations that blockchain systems could have in the modern day society. And the one that I thought of most is if the idea is to empower the every everyday individual and minimize third party involvement. That means that people and everyone is going to have to bear the responsibility of taking care and storing their own data. And the thing with this data is it's entirely digital. So do you not think that older demographics are going to struggle with this transition or more optimistically, I kind of, I kind of hope that the transition will be kind of seamless because we've like the other day, my, my Spanish grandmother, she's every day she's texting me on WhatsApp with voice notes and sending me videos and her, ability to interact with technology never surprises me and nowadays we're seeing even babies learning how to use ipads before they can even speak so i don't know do you view that as a problem you know i I think i think your observation is correct you know i've experienced the same thing where um you know back if, if you go back to 
1994 when kind of the internet started for real. Um, it was weird and clunky. Uh, then you had uh, some of the, the first kind of applications built uh, that were real usable. Um, and I started to see older folks on buses and trains with iPads. It would just blow my mind. Um, I think it'll take a little time because right now, the folks that are building the technologies aren't focusing on the user experience. They're really working on very difficult problems around protecting the, the technology from hacks, et cetera. So uh, right now, I don't believe the UI UX is really good uh, in a lot of these applications, but I think it will get better and I think it will allow for those who are not tech natives to, uh, to, find, um, to, to find these applications interesting and, and usable. But right now, things are difficult. I mean, if you think about buying a Bitcoin right now, it's a, it's a heavy lift. Even still, uh, you know, if you're, if you're trying to connect to an exchange, think about, think about how difficult that actually is. Absolutely. And Jason, we're, we're from quite a privileged part in the world. So it's, it's even easier for us. Like over there in the States, you guys have the cash app, which is quite a seamless process. Imagine being from the third world and the infrastructure that they have, that they're offered over there just doesn't boast the same qualities that we have over here. So yeah, absolutely. It's, um, there's a lot of room to grow still. And I think that's, we always talk about it in the bear market. It's, it's the time to build. And I think that in the light, in the last month, uh, month and a half, what am I on about in the last year and a half or so, we really have grown the infrastructure and the surrounding areas around crypto, but there's still a long way to go. And, uh, yeah, I mean, someone uh, on Twitter, you know, kind of tried to call me out and say, because I had tweeted something positive about cryptocurrency the last few days, they tried to call me out and say, oh, look, you know, one of, our, one of the influencers is back. And I, I had to remind him, I said, I hadn't gone anywhere. You know, while most of the crypto people have been hiding in their closets because of this bear market, I mean, our team's raised over $40 million uh, and deployed it in infrastructure during the bear market. We've been building, we've been investing, we haven't gone anywhere. And um, so, you know, the last few weeks, coming out of that bear market, like I, I believe that we have, we've gotten into a, a situation where we're probably back into a bull market um, and things are feeling really good right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about uh, this space even more than I typically am excited about it. Absolutely. And you just touched on Morgan Creek there. And I think it's a good time to touch on Morgan Creek because you guys have really cemented yourselves as an influential institution within the crypto space and the community. And I mean, I think Pomp's work has been phenomenal in terms of social, um, in terms of the social side of it. And yeah, I, I just wanted to say in front of everyone that I'm a big fan of what you guys do. And uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you have all of our support here at Crypto Authority. No, I thank, thank you for that. You know, I think we've taken an interesting and different approach to investing. Uh, we look at ourselves as like a media company that manages assets versus, you know, a traditional asset manager um, that may employ a third party to help with media. So uh, we find that being involved in the conversations, meeting with the participants, uh, building companies alongside the builders is critical for us to understand how to deploy, uh, deploy uh, investments appropriately. So uh, I just feel like, um, you know, timing's everything. 
and uh, we've got a really talented team. I mean, Mark and Pomp are brilliant guys. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy always dragging up the rear here. <laughs> I think you've been a bit harsh there, but Jason, um, are you good to finish off with a quick fire Q&A section? Yeah, hit me with it. Awesome. So what would be your priority for the healthcare system as president? If I was president of the healthcare system? If no, if you were president of your country, the USA, what would be your priority for the healthcare system? You know, for me, um, I believe healthcare is uh, a right, not a privilege. Uh, and uh, so I would, I would push to making sure that, uh, that everyone in the United States had health care. I mean, that's, that's really, uh, you know, it's not a blockchain answer, but it's kind of my philosophical belief. So that, that would be an easy one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good humane answer. <laughs> it, it didn't have to include blockchain. I think the, the overall well-being of society is more important than blockchain. Yeah, but, and I would just slam blockchain into that, uh, into that thesis. Absolutely. <laughs> that goes without saying. Right, right. So this may be a hard one because I'm sure at Morgan Creek you've had the, the privilege of meeting a bunch of interesting people. But if you had to pick one out, who's the most interesting person that you've met with in crypto? Wow. Um, you know, I probably would have to say the most interesting person I've met in crypto uh, it's probably uh, Jameson Lop. Yeah. And, and, and it's for a number of reasons. One, I think he's brilliant. Two, he was early. And three, we've shared the same or similar type of kind of hacking uh, stories that you and I should touch on some other time. But man, I've been through, I've been through it when it comes to, uh, you know, hacks and all kinds of uh, nefarious situations around crypto and at this point i don't even know where jameson is he, he's simply anonymized himself from humanity <laughs> he's brilliant he's um he's such a great contribution to the space we're really lucky to have him yeah definitely definitely but i mean it, just to, the, the situation he went through with with the extortion and the hacks and the the threats of violence against him that's led him to essentially you know move away from society it's extraordinary you know he's he was here in north carolina and he's you know like he's no longer around now, i know he's out there someplace but nobody really knows where he is jeez i wasn't aware of that yeah yeah you got to check the story i mean he's an interesting guy jameson lop uh, went through all kinds of hacking and you know extortion and threats of violence against him i was uh, aware of that yeah yeah but the, the, uh, he, i didn't know that he went awol yeah he he literally has uh he anonymized himself he went through great great lengths to uh to literally take himself out of the public eye i don't even know where he lives okay so I, i'm not sure how many you've been to but what has been the favorite or your favorite cryptocurrency meetup or event or gathering along those lines um, you know, I, I love hanging out with the folks over at Binance. I, I always find that um, uh, they put on great events. So, you know, I, I don't get a lot of time to do that stuff. But uh, I think CZ is, uh, is a savage. And I love <laughs> And I just love what they're doing uh, uh, over there. I think uh, they've run a good business. His growth is phenomenal. He's taken risks. I mean, I just I really like uh, I like what CZ is doing. Absolutely. I, I, I like the word that you described him with. And 
although like I, I, I entirely agree with you, he's been, or his, his work with Binance has been amazing throughout the world. And now he's planning to set up fiat on ramps in every continent in the world. Like that's, that's one of the most important things that we need within the crypto and digital asset space, but he's very controversial still. So, but I just, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. He's a, he's definitely a net positive within the space. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you're, anytime you're pushing the limits, uh, like a visionary like CZ is, of course, he's going to be controversial. Um, the move he made to Malta after getting bounced out, you know, uh, it's, um, he's, 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 he's doing the, the right things to support his vision. And, uh, you know, it's fun to watch. Yeah. So to finish off with a fun one, because the recent price swings in crypto have been interesting. So it kind of spices up this question a bit more because for the pessimistic, they may give a very interesting answer. So I'll stop babbling and I'll give the question. Will the price of BTC be higher in 365 days time than what it is today? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. See, some people are, are under the assumption that we still have to go to around 2.5 and then the hyper wave or the hyper Bitcoin people, um, they believe that we've got to go even under 1K. Yeah, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, Jason. I really fucking hope so, man. No, I'm telling you, they're, they're wrong. I, I think if you try to time the bottom, which I, I, I fundamentally believe the bottom is in, I think this thing is going to move and melt your face off. I, I've been here. I've been here. When I started mining, I, I was mining Ethereum at like 45 bucks a coin. Yeah. And it went to like over a thousand. <laughs> it's I interesting. Mean, it's crazy. Amazing. Well, Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thank you so much. Where can people find more about you? And uh, obviously you've got Twitter. So why don't yeah. you uh, give your tag out? Yeah, you can find me at Twitter at J Williams, F-S-T-M-E-D. Amazing. Brilliant. Well, thanks, man. Thanks again for coming on the show and taking some of your Sunday out to come and talk to me because I've learned a lot and it's been amazing. My pleasure. And if you ever want to talk about hacking and the FBI and all kinds of stuff, I've got a great story to tell. Oh my God, dude. Don't, okay. We'll speak about that now and then we'll make another podcast out of it if it's worth it. A hundred percent. I'm so up for that. That sounds great, man. Good stuff. We'll catch you later, man. Talk soon. Bye-bye.